my dear listeners, and welcome to Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Gundlach. And as always, I'm committed to bringing you the voices of beloved singers, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. You will also be hearing less celebrated but equally treasurable artists who deserve our attention and respect. I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the episode that almost didn't get made. As Counter Melody approaches its 100th episode, I have been just putting myself through the ringer, trying to justify why I keep doing this. But then I remember that there are a small, select number of you who listen to this every week and perhaps have even come to rely on it. So you give me the fortitude to go on and the encouragement that I need. So thank you for that. And now let me tell you what is coming up today. Today was going to be a mammoth gay pride episode, but instead I'm going to do, let's call it a chamber music scale episode featuring Evelyn Lear singing songs by two of the most important gay American composers, Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim, with a few other choice items sprinkled in as well. The centerpiece of today's episode is a 1980 LP called Evelyn Lear Sings Sondheim and Bernstein. Her accompanist here, and on most of the other selections today, is Martin Katz. Even though the album is called Evelyn Lear Sings Sondheim and Bernstein, side one is Bernstein and side two is Sondheim. I think that's appropriate because good as the Bernstein side is, the Sondheim side is, in my opinion, even better. Let's begin with the first of two songs from that peculiar stage production of Peter Pan that starred Gene Arthur and Boris Karloff and which featured songs for which Leonard Bernstein composed both words and music. This is Who Am I? Who am I? Was it all planned in advance or was I just born by chance in July? Oh, who on earth am I? Did I ever live before as a mountain lion or as a fly? My friends only think of fun They're all an incurable lot Can I be the only one Who thinks this mysterious thought Someday I'll die Will I ever live again As a rooster or a hen Or a lion in a den Or a robin Or a wren Or a fly Oh, who am I? 
Funny, the thoughts I have at night. So different from the thoughts I have by day. The moment Mama switches off the light, a thousand different questions come my way. just born by chance in July. Oh, who on earth am I? My friends only think of fun. They're all an incurable lot. Can I be the So first of all, let's apply that question, who am I, to Evelyn Lear. Evelyn Lear was born Evelyn Schulman on the 8th of January, 1926. She came from a distinguished musical lineage. Her grandfather, Zavel Quartin, was one of the four most celebrated cantors of his time. He was born in Ukraine in 1874 to a Hasidic family who were in the textile industry. His vocal talent was apparent to his brother-in-law who encouraged him to pursue music, specifically the cantorate. Though initially he was more interested in opera and classical music, he eventually did train in Vienna, where, in 1903, he became the chief cantor at the Jewish Community Synagogue in Vienna. He began touring throughout Europe and, in 1920, came to the United States, where he eventually settled in Brooklyn, having been appointed cantor at Temple Emmanuel there. Let's just hear a very short sample of him. This is a recording from 1908 of the chant Zur Yisroel.
Martin's daughter, Nina, was also a very gifted singer. And it was through hearing her mother's voice that Evelyn Lear decided to become a singer. There's actually an extant example of Nina Quartin, Evelyn Lear's mother, singing in this Crimean folk song recorded in the 1930s. Evelyn Schulman was briefly married to the physician Walter, with whom she bore two children before their divorce. Many years later, in 1975, Walter Lear came out and became a passionate advocate for gay rights and for patient rights. After her divorce, she attended the Juilliard School, where she studied under Sergius Kagan. It was there that she met her husband-to-be, baritone Thomas Stewart, whom we will hear later in the episode. In the early years of their career, they appeared together in Mark Blitzstein's operetta-slash-musical Reuben Reuben. It died in previews before ever making it to Broadway. But in the same year, 1956, Evelyn Lear made a recording of Mark Blitzstein's song Nickel Under the Foot, one of the most caustic yet poignant songs from Blitzstein's musical The Cradle Will Rock. She is accompanied here by Mark Blitzstein himself, one of the most prominent and out gay composers of his era. It was Tuesday last week. Yeah, Tuesday. I had breakfast at Andy's. Coffee and. For lunch I had coffee and again. For dinner I could only afford coffee. Then I looked on the floor and I see a nickel shining there. Gee! Coffee and, Andy! Then I looked closer. That wasn't no nickel. Not coffee and Andy, just coffee Andy. Cute, huh? Mister, you don't know what it felt like thinking that was a nickel under my foot. Maybe you wonder what it is makes people good or bad. Turns out 
That same year, Evelyn Lear and Thomas Stewart also appeared in the first commercial recording of Cord Vile's musical Johnny Johnson, which was his first American venture after fleeing Nazi Germany. This is an excerpt of her singing the song O Heart of Love from that recording. And what was queer about Cord Vile? Well, he and his wife, Lotte Lenya, had a polyamorous relationship. And she, on her part, was bisexual. Good enough for you? Every footfall on the floor, every tip. 
Madeline Lear and Thomas Stewart both won Fulbright scholarships to study in Germany. Very soon after they arrived there, he was engaged at what was then called the Städtische Oper Berlin, which became known as the Deutsche Oper. Eventually, she also joined the company in guest parts. She made her first big splash in 1960 when she learned the title role in Alban Berg's Lulu in three weeks for the Austrian concert premiere of the opera when the scheduled soprano withdrew. Later on, Lear would record both Lulu and Marie in Berg's other opera, Wozzeck, under the conductor for that occasion. Carl Böhm. When I do a more complete career survey of Evelyn Lear, I will definitely include something from the second Viennese school. For now, let's turn back to Bernstein. The second track on side one of Lear's Bernstein Sondheim album is also from Peter Pan. This is the wonderful song, My House. I really love her blend of innocence and sophistication which is a beautiful approach to take to this song. Will you build me a house? A house that really will be mine? Then let me give you my design A simple scheme of A house I dream of
During World War II, Leonard Bernstein wrote a ballet called Fancy Free in collaboration with Jerome Robbins, who also wrote the scenario about three sailors on leave in New York City. With that plot line, Leonard Bernstein and Betty Comden and Adolph Green created the musical review on the town in which Comden and Green also appeared when it first appeared on Broadway in 1944. I'm going to play you three numbers, actually four numbers, from On the Town. The first is I Can Cook Too. I wanted to say something about Evelyn Lear as a performer. She has about her the natural charm and sophistication of the classiest Central Park South hostess. I don't mean that in a sarcastic way at all. In the Blitzstein and Vile selections that we heard, I think it was clear that Evelyn Lear had yet to develop her diva persona. By the time she made this recording in 1980, however, she'd found exactly the right tone and temperament. That fascinating blend of different affects works very well for most of this material. That said, I do have some problems with the first two On the Town tracks. From our vantage point, when we hear I Can Cook Too, maybe you, like me, have in my mind that incredibly down-and-dirty performance that queer icon Leah Delaria gave. Evelyn Lear, she gets down a little bit, but she doesn't get too grubby and grimy. The more I listened to this, the more that I liked it. So you might consider doing that as well. Anyway, here's I Can Cook Too. I'd make a magazine cover I do keep house on a dime I'd make a wonderful lover I should be paid over time Cause I can cook too On top of the rest My seafood's the best in the town And I can cook too My fish can't be beat My sugar's the sweetest around I'm a man's ideal of a perfect meal Right down to the demi-tasse I'm a pot of joy for a hungry boy, baby. I'm cooking with gas. Oh, I'm a gum drop, a sweet lollipop, a brook trout right out of the brook. And what's more, baby, I can cook. Cause I can bake too, on top of a lot. My oven's the hottest you'll find. Chickens just ooze. My gravies will lose you your mind. I'm a brand new note. I'm a table de oat. But just try my a la carte. With a single course, you could choke a horse. Baby, you won't know where to start. Oh, I'm an hors d'oeuvre, a jelly preserve that's not in the recipe book. Crisco's as deep 
chops will cause you to drool. For a candied sweet or a pickled beet, step up to my smorgasbord. Go around until you have had your fill, baby. You'll never be bored. Oh, I'm a party, a modern glacé, a dish that you wish that you took. And what's more, baby, my cordons blur, baby. Julia Child, I'm ready for your baby, cause I can I think the most poignant song in On the Town is Some Other Time. Now this, for me personally, is the performance that I probably like the least on this album, because I think she sings it like a chantuzzi in a jazz club, and there's a little bit too much time spent on the outer surfaces of this song, and she doesn't dig deep enough for my taste. These are just my impressions. I do not mean it as a criticism. This was her choice of what she wanted to do with the song, and within those confines, it's an effective performance. One of the three sailors in On the Town, Gaby, sings the next song, Lonely Town. 
which receives a gorgeous performance from Evelyn Lear. And, by the way, also from Martin Katz, who plays superbly throughout this entire record, and whose contribution deserves to be spotlighted and acknowledged with great enthusiasm. Evelyn Lear began her musical career also as a French horn player, and she has the distinction of being perhaps the only operatic soprano who ever played French horn under Leonard Bernstein when he conducted the Tanglewood Orchestra. Many years later, she took the cameo role of Madame Dilly in Michael Tilson Thomas's recording of the complete score of On the Town. In this comic number, the Carnegie Hall Pavan, recorded live in 1993, Evelyn Lear, as Madame Dilly, plays the voice instructor to Mari McLaughlin, who plays Ivy Smith, Miss Turnstiles. Do, do, re, do. do, re, mi, do. Mustn't be discouraged if the going is slow. Do, do, re, do. Love life must go if you'd be a knight 
just remind you here that if you'd like to support the podcast on Patreon, I cordially invite you to go to patreon.com slash countermelody. For your monthly pledge of anywhere from $2 on up, you will gain access to the growing library of bonus episodes that I have posted behind the Patreon paywall. I'm looking forward to moving Counter Melody in some interesting directions with the next 100 episodes. Your support really enables me to do this. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. take a short detour before I quote-unquote flip the record over and play side two for you. My first encounter with the voices of Evelyn Lear and Thomas Stewart was their 1971 recording of Songs by Charles Ives, in which they were accompanied by one of the most important Ives pianists of the day, Alan Mandel. This is a prize collection that has never been reissued on CD or in any other format. And I'm going to play just one example from that record. This is Evelyn Lear singing Tom Sails Away, which is set to a text by Ives himself and is a reminiscence many years later of a younger sibling as their brother Tom is preparing to go off to fight in World War I over there. Apart from her crystal clear diction and extraordinary naturalness in conjuring this scene, one must also acknowledge the ease with which Evelyn Lear observes some apparently peculiar rhythmic specifications on the part of Charles Ives. Yet in her hands and in her voice, and in her pronunciation of the words, it all makes perfect and incredibly poignant sense. I'm also playing this for David because it's one of his very favorite Evelyn Lear recordings, and again, one which had an enormous influence on him as well.
Since this is a Queer Pride episode, I must mention that history has not been particularly kind to Charles Ives. In terms of what is perceived as his deeply ingrained homophobia, when his younger colleague, Henry Cowell, was embroiled in a gay scandal which landed him in jail for four years. Most of Cowell's musical and artistic colleagues rallied to his side, and yet Ives remained detached, incommunicado, and apparently repulsed. This is particularly reprehensible when you consider that Henry Cowell was his closest musical colleague, and in fact is the person who was primarily responsible for bringing Ives before the general public. More recent research has emerged, which somewhat absolves Charles Ives of the sting of the accusation of virulent homophobia. Somewhat. But let us not turn a blind eye to this either. Another thing we should not turn a blind eye to is the queer presence that pervades all of music history. The clues are there. It's up to us and us often means us queer folk, to fill in blanks where information was intentionally obfuscated or simply left out. Before we turn to that somewhat reluctant queer icon, Stephen Sondheim, let's enjoy Evelyn Lear's performance of a number of songs by composers who, from our perspective, or mine at least, seem to be most probably gay, or in some cases, explicitly gay. I'll start with the most controversial of those, Franz Schubert. There's been a lot of research done on the question of if Schubert was gay or not, and to me, there's no longer any disputing that claim. For those of you who don't agree, simply listen to this gorgeous recording of his setting of Nur wer die Sehnsucht kennt. This is a duet setting of Goethe's text in which Mignon says, Only he who has known longing knows how much I suffer. This setting was published under the title Mignon und der Hafner. I had mentioned Thomas Stewart, and here it is performed by Thomas Stewart and Evelyn Lear. They are accompanied in this 1967 recording by Eric Verba. Ist 
Es brennt mein Eingeweide. Es brennt mein Eingeweide. Es schwindet mir. Es brennt mein Eingeweide. Nur wird diese. Now I have just a little soupçon of music by Reynaldo Anne, the song Quand je fus pris au pavillon, which Anne, who was, of course, the lover of Marcel Proust, set to a text by Charles d'Orléans, in which the singer describes being held captive in the pavilion of love. by that tragic and probably unwilling gay icon, Piotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky. This is his song called Dien Litsarit. Does the Day Rain, Opus 47, number 6. Evelyn Lear is here accompanied by the Dutch pianist Rudolf Janssen in this 1974 live performance from Hilversum. Whether I am awake or in a dream, whether it is day or night, I am filled with only one thought, and that is of you. It pleases me to be able to present Tchaikovsky in such effusive, unapologetic throes of love.
playful mood, we get to hear Evelyn Lear and Martin Katz in a live performance of Aaron Copeland's arrangement of the traditional American tune, I Bought Me a Cat. I can scarcely believe that I have offered this song at least three times on the podcast. Every time I think of this song, I just get enormously irritated, but then I hear beautiful performances by singers like Lois Marshall, William Warfield, or this completely delectable performance by Evelyn Lear. And I think, well, I can certainly see why people love this song. And yes, though he was never militant about it, Aaron Copeland was staunchly, affirmatively, and unapologetically gay. I bought me a horse, a horse please me. like the disc has flipped itself over, so we are about to hear Evelyn Lear and Martin Katz perform five Sondheim songs for us. The liner notes on the back of this 1980 recording told me something that I had no idea of, and that is that Evelyn Lear, hold on to your seats here, people, gave the world premiere performance of Green Finch and Linnet Bird from Sondheim's Sweeney Todd. She sang it in a 1978 town hall recital before the work ever premiered on Broadway. Now, I would not think that Evelyn Lear would be at all appropriate for this song, but you guys, I was wrong. And if you held that opinion as well, you're in for a wonderful surprise. Get a load of this gorgeous performance. Green finch and linnet bird, nightingale blackbird, how is it you sing? How can you jubilate sitting in cages, never taking wing? Outside the sky waits beckoning, beckoning. 
at the rain, maddened by the stars. How is it you sing anything? How is it you sing? Green finch and linnet bird, nightingale, blackbird, how is it you sing? This melody constantly flowing Is it rejoicing or merely hallowing? Are you discussing or fussing Or simply dreaming? Are you crowing? Are you screaming? Ring, dub, and robinette is it for wages singing to be sold? Have you decided it's safer in cages singing when you're told? My cage has many rooms, damask and dark. Nothing there sings, not even my lark. Larks never will you know when they're captive. Teach me to be more adaptive. Green finch and linnet bird, nightingale, blackbird, teach me how to sing. If I cannot fly, let me sing. Are you dreaming? Are you I think one of the key affects that Evelyn Lear had access to in her singing was pathos. Nowhere is that on better display than in this performance of I Remember, which is from that odd Stephen Sondheim TV musical from the mid-60s called Evening Primrose. Robert Jacobson, who wrote the liner notes to this recording, actually quotes Evelyn Lear as stating about this song, What impresses me is the sparse text riding over the yearning melodic line of the accompaniment to denote futility.
Next, we have two songs from Follies. The first is Could I Leave You? It's interesting because, again, when one hears a performer like Donna Murphy do this song, the rage that is seething beneath the surface eventually erupts completely and utterly. In Evelyn Lear's version of the song, the character Phyllis never completely loses it. Whether that works or not is for you to judge. I, again, as I listened to this performance more than once, I found myself appreciating it more each time. Leave you, leave you, how could I leave you? How could I go it alone? Could I wave the years away with a quick goodbye? How do you wipe tears away when your eyes are dry? Sweetheart, lover, could I recover? Give up the joys I have known. Not to fetch your pills again every day at five. Not to give those dinners for ten elderly men from the UN. How could I survive? Could I leave you? 
is my favorite song from Follies. It's probably a lot of people's favorite song from Follies, Losing My Mind. Again, there's a quote from Evelyn Lear in the liner notes here, which I will share with you. First, she observes that she thinks that Sondheim's intention with the song was tongue-in-cheek. Well, tongue-in-cheek is one way of describing it. These are pastiche numbers that are performed as part of that final Follies show in which each of the four protagonists presents a number. Anyway, she continues, Yet his composition is so strong that despite his desire for that, in other words, to be tongue-in-cheek, it comes out a vulnerable, heart-wrenching song. The utter stark simplicity of the text can grip one's throat, and ultimately, it is a most moving blues song. Comes up, I think about you. The coffee cup, I think about you. I want you so, it's like I'm losing my mind. Morning 
with you And do they know It's like I'm losing my mind All afternoon Doing every little charm The thought of you stays bright Sometimes I stand In the middle of the floor final track on the record is Send in the Clowns. There are so many different ways to interpret Send in the Clowns. I know I've played Judy Dench's version, which is so full of anger and rage. I don't think that's the approach that Evelyn Lear takes. It's much more heartbroken. It's much more matter-of-fact, but by her willingness to stand back and observe 
the situation. It's this distancing that makes the performance all the more heartbreaking. The arrangement for piano of this song is extraordinary. I don't know if it is Martin Katz who did these arrangements or not, but they are really exceptional. And this performance, I think, is the highlight of the whole record. Yeah. 
This coming July 1st is the ninth anniversary of Evelyn Lear's death. Thank you for joining me today for this celebration of her artistry, which was also a celebration of queer composers through the ages. I have a really special episode for you guys next week, so make sure that you tune in. I'll say no more right now in case my plans change again at the last minute. Much love to you, and thanks for sticking with me. One final number to round off the episode, and that is this duet arrangement by Thomas Stewart himself of the Stephen Foster song, Hard Times, Come Again No More. A lot of people are very insistent that Stephen Foster was not gay. Depends on how you look at it. I think one way of looking at it would seem to indicate that he quite likely was Many of his songs are so problematic that I can't even listen to them anymore, but he was one of the great tunesmiths, and sometimes his songs have an unbearable poignancy to them, and I think that's definitely true of this one. We have all suffered so much over the course of this pandemic. One goes forward with the same feeling of exhausted hope that one encounters in this song. Once again, Evelyn Lear and Thomas Stewart are accompanied by Eric Verba in this 1967 recording. Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.